five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We are live with another edition of the Friday Forecast, and today I am joined by the only, one and only Russ Winter. Russ, how are you today? Super. It is my uh, computer. I'm, I'm going through my computer audio. It's good sound. You sound great, my man. Excellent. Okay. I, I upgraded my computer so that I can actually participate in these podcasts. Yeah. I think, so I, 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 think I ran five in a row that I got dropped. I think these guys are about getting ready to get rid of me, so I had to make the big investment. And the last uh, podcast I did with William Ramsey was flawless. So, well, that's great. So <clears throat> I left a little message on your Twitter uh, Twitter message, which was "Welcome to the 21st century." Right? Yeah, I'm 1999 all the way. I'm not. I'm I'm staying there too. Right. The future isn't what it was advertised to be. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get into uh, Mr. Frank uh, Harris today, right? Not Frank Harris, Frank James. I was I always want to call him Harris for some reason. Um, he's got a, I think he's got a couple of pseudonyms, but we're going to get into Frank James today because I I did get into him yesterday, and I hadn't read your piece. I did read your piece yesterday after I did my show, and you and I were basically running side by side on this thing in terms of what we noticed and just how bizarre it is and continues to be bizarre. But before we jump into that, I just want to introduce people to today's guest. It's uh, Russ Winter, and he has a website called winterwatch.net. And if you're new to the show, Russ has been a guest uh, a number of times before. He has he has an excellent, let me just get the uh, the blog up here. He has an excellent blog that is continually pumping out high quality content. And it's not just the content, but it's how it's delivered. It's a great looking website. Um, it's easy to read. And Russ does a lot of collaboration with other people. You, you know, He mentioned that he was on with William Ramsey last week. He does a lot of stuff with Giuseppe and Dave Scorpio, which is how I discovered Russ. And a number of other people, I think Tim Kelly is, is uh, somebody that you uh, connect with and Eric, the trad cat. So here's a, just a kind of a, uh, a, a view of Russ's site and all the hard work that he puts into it. And Russ has a particular, I think, interest and ability to go into those really dark places that nobody else really wants to get into and talk about the, the psychopathic element in our society and in our world and who's behind it and what are some of the common themes and threads. 
So Russ, I want to thank you for doing that stalwart work. And as always, it's good to have you. Um, what is going on just real quick, because I do want to, and I know it's a little touchy because you have to be careful about what you say, but what is going on on the ground in Europe right now that you can share with us? Well, they're in Central Europe, places like Germany, Czech Republic, where I am, and Poland, and there's super pro Ukraine, very anti-Russian. So the prestige of Russia has totally collapsed, which I think is kind of unfortunate because now they're, uh, you know, Putin wants uh, these countries to pay in legitimate currency. They've they've done a sanction which forced uh, Russia into not not being able to accept dollars and euros. So why would they be surprised if he's asking for rubles or gold? And the, some, a lot of these countries are being very stubborn. I, this country that I'm in right now, last time I heard, one of my friends was telling me they have 23 days of natural gas left. So what happens when they run, when they go to zero? And it's going to take a while for this gas to get re-geared uh, up into the system and get here. Right. A lot of people don't understand that. Like you just can't turn the thing on and off again. Right. It takes yeah, it's not like going to the, it's not like going to the gas station where you sort of somebody brings in a load of gas and puts it in the pump once in a while. It's a little bit like that, but it's pipelines that come through uh, Ukraine and Slovakia to get here. But then the, the sentiment is super pro Ukrainians. If you're a Ukrainian, you can get it. You can come in here and, and there's like four or 5 million left of, the Ukraine and most most of them are like wealthier people, and I, I have a little story that I I have I was coming in the alleyway I have a back entrance into my apartment building my apartments so in this old district of Prague, mm-hmm. and there parked in the alleyway was a very nice car I mean like a luxury car, and uh, there's two young men maybe 16 18 getting out and they're what looked like they're maybe their dad, their father would be my guest. And I didn't see any women. And I looked at the uh, license tag in Ukraine. And the story is that there's like 200,000 quarter of a million in the Czech Republic, 2 million in, in Poland. And they can easily, they can get a one year uh, residence permit and, and stay here. So it's just, I mean, it's not the worst thing that's happened to Europe. It's not quite like having the Africa and Middle East, swarming over here because the ukrainians are pretty good people but it did you know it'll take it'll hit it'll hit the economy here running out of gas we're running out of natural gas energy food and having extra load of uh, what i would call wealthy refugees and for right, a while so, you know if they don't speak the language check yeah, they're going to be yeah. a bit of a, a burden right so russ currently lives in prague czechoslovakia and um, this is where uh, the, these immigrants are starting to show up. Let me ask you a question. Now, do you think that there is a percentage of these Ukrainians who are like pro-Zionist and kind of moving that ideology, the, the relationship with these oligarchs into these other states in Central Europe? Do you think that this is part of it so they can begin to kind of flip places like Poland, who seems to have a very tight relationship with Zelensky and Hungary and Czechoslovakia and Slovenia. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Hungary's not, Hungary's not uh, really anti, 
Russian. I, I so, mean, I, I think I think he's taken the. I think I think he's taken, which is Orbit, of course. Orbit, Orbit, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. I All think right. he's taking the correct uh, approach. Which is so. What are your What are your thoughts though? Like, just you know, they because we know that when they have a migrant class, there's a reason why they have a migrant class because embedded in that migrant class are people who have a particular role or agenda that they've been tasked with, which is infiltrate the new system and the new economy that they're a part of, right? And some of the migrant class are just useless dupes, but not all of them. So I, I'm just wondering what your sense or take is, is, is that now you have these rich Ukrainians who might be, you know, more compelled to support something like Zelensky and Newland and things that we've talked about before. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's a possibility. I, I, I don't know how that plays out, but it seems to follow the logic of how uh, fifth columns work. And, you know, we've talked about that. This, my, my theory about fifth columns in, in the United States, which is a country I uh, feel is really being applied. And so, yeah, if you get a bunch of foreigners in here that have a uh, agenda, that would be very un unfortunate because you can swarm a country like this very quickly. Yep. Yep. And it's almost the opposite, right? Like, you know, the migrant class, the refugee class comes in from uh, the Middle East or Sub-Saharan Africa. They're different. Like they put a burden on the system. The system has to support them, which is a strategy, by the way. But this would be different, right? So you have a different migrant class with money, which can come in and then begin to influence and tweak the system, right? Yeah, I mean, I've always thought what it would be like if you had a quarter of a million Americans show up here, and it would be awful. Yeah, well, be very, it, it, very demanding and, you know, put and do their – I mean, you wouldn't want to have 250,000 even Russ Winters here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different well, culture. <laughs> I try to lay low, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's a great, that's a great point. Well, this thing is ongoing and, um, you know, I don't know this again, we we're living in this weird fog of war where we hear a lot of things, just like when we hear a lot of things about what's going on with Frank James, which is another version of this fog of war. It's a different kind of war, but there was supposedly the, uh, the Moskva, the, the Russian ship that was sunk. What have you heard about that? Well, the, th the thing about the thing I heard about that, that it was possibly a British drone and that, right. that would be an escalation. I don't know. If that, what have you heard on, heard on I that heard the aspect? same. I heard the same thing that it was like a swarm. It wasn't just one drone. It was like, like, you know, more than one. Uh, and, and it was supposedly connected to the UK. Um, and, but again, I, you know, I haven't seen any footage or, you know, so it's it's hard to disseminate what what's really going on. I mean, there are things that are going on, but it's hard to disseminate. If that is true, then you know this is all next well, level the, stuff. The, yeah. the item I just saw this afternoon uh, here, my time was that uh, the Russians had sent a long range, the very first long range bomber attack in Ukraine. I don't know what kind of targets they hit, but that's an escalation. They wouldn't, yeah. do, they wouldn't do that unless they were responding to something, because I think that they're very calculating in terms of their response. Yeah, I, I heard that they were bombing Kiev. That's that's the latest that I heard. But again, a lot of this stuff is very unsubstantiated and 
you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a farm in Texas, right? So, you know, it's, it's like, I'm trying my best to decipher what's going on with the world through these, these portals that we have and people like yourself. Um, why don't we get into uh, Frank James a little bit and let's see what we can come up with that, that we can kind of go over some of the stuff that both you and I touched on and then try to understand like why this happened and who's behind it. Cause I think that's the bigger question. Yeah, I, li- I listened to your show, and uh, I'm just kind of going at it. I, you know, I don't. I try to keep the fluff down in my analysis, and I, I think I, I think I'm pretty good at writing, sort of very straightforward, a little bit sarcastically sometimes. You know, no, it's good. You have a little touch. You have a little touch of humor, which is good. Right, sort of tongue in cheek, uh, sort of laughing at these situations. And so I opened mine up. I said, the details surrounding the apprehension of one quote unquote Frank James, and I put Frank James in quotes, right? Because he's that's to infer that he's probably a cutout, right? Finds the imagination. He's 62 years old, looks to be a hobbled six foot, supersized, 800, 280 pound lard ass. So, unless quote unquote Mr. James confesses to this alleged client crime it looks like his defense team will have a heyday with the jury on identification you see the bolo identified the perp as five five hundred seventy pounds now you mentioned that yep uh it has been pretty much verified i have a new york clip from a new york times article quoting the sister barbara jean gray mr james sister says that her brother is six foot tall 300 pounds so as part of my humor, I have the, f- the famous Major League, just a little bit outside clip for Bob right. Just right. a little bit outside. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I've got... That's for I've the got, pajama people. I like, you know, I like to kid around with the pajama people. I call the pajama people the oblivious. So I have your, your uh, website on the screen now, and I'm, I'm scrolling through the article as you're reading. And the picture that I'm, I'm uh, on right now shows Frank, quote unquote, James, um, and he's with the arresting officers, including a guy on his left elbow, which has an FBI emblem or who has an FBI emblem on his jacket. Oh, that's interesting. So now the FBI is involved. He was, I thought he was just supposed to be a person of interest. <laughs> guy, and there's no way that he's... Yeah, you know, the, day before, the day before, they were saying he was a person of interest. Right. And... But based on everything that I've seen, I'm not part of the investigation, but, you know, they didn't have any, they had, of course, the CCTV cameras, the surveillance cameras at that specific 36th Street uh, subway were not working, which is just classic nonsense. Right. And uh, so, really, I mean, what, what what's the evidence that this guy was even there? Figuratively and literally. Well, there, there is none. It's all, it's, it's, it's all vaguely circumstantial. They have a, the one video clip is some guy waddling down the street with a, uh, one of those orange emergency workers vests. He's also wearing a gas mask. Well, at the, at the, at the meeting that they, at the, the conference they had four hours after the event, they said he was wearing a green vest, so they can't even make up his, their mind on the, the clothing he's wearing. Right, right. The, but there is that weird little clip 
where this dude is supposedly this dude and he's waddling down the sidewalk on his way to the subway. And, but again, that could be anybody. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There's I mean, just, how, how it'd be very easy to stage him because he's wearing a mask. He's waddling. He's, he doesn't look, you know, he, he doesn't look like the guy, the guy that's going to run in there and make a run for it. I, and I'm not very clear exactly how he's, pulled this thing off in the subways first they said he was standing on a platform and w- waited for the door about to close through the canister or the smoke bombs in and open fire that's an awful lot of multitasking for a big lard ass well then they then they guy. said he was actually on the subway right right you're right then they changed it to that and right. he's handling smoke bombs he's handling weapons he's you know i don't know I, he didn't even have a knife or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, of course, there's the leave behind. And the leave behind, he leaves everything behind. He leaves a gun. And this is an important part and something that I talked about is that they stressed that he left three Glock 9mm extended clips. Okay. They said that like three times in the story. Well, why are they saying that? Because they want to get rid of the extended clips. Like, and they, then they're like, okay, let's get out. Let's go after the Glock nines. Right. Well, you know, I I could, I could see where the guy, after the guys use the clips up where he might leave those behind. But he leaves the gun. The gun is registered too, to him, by the way. Right. Right. And and, and the guy, and this guy has been on the the uh, terrorist list for some 2019. (laughs) and, And by the way, he's a felon. And if you're a felon, you cannot own a handgun. So how does a felon get a registered handgun? Like, here we go. Here's another question that well, nobody is really you know, I think their argument is they're going to say that he's bought it in more uh, liberal states, I guess. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you are a felon, this is, this is on the national database. If you're a felon, you cannot own a handgun. Now, you could buy an illegal handgun, but you can't get an okay through the gun registry. There, you, there's a process, right? You have to check a box, right? And the box is that you are... A convicted felon. Well, if you check that and you go and have the uh, the you know complete the process, you'll be rejected. Now, if you don't check the box and it is your real name and you have all the real identification that's on there, you will come up because you're part of a registry. And from what I understand, um, the FBI will be at that gun seller within 15 minutes because you're trying they're trying to sell a legal firearm to somebody who cannot possess one. So that is a, just a big red flag. Like how does a guy, cause you've seen the pictures of him in an orange jumpsuit because he was incarcerated. How does he get a legal hand? Oh, well, guess what? It's registered and it's registered to him. So we know what's him. He left that behind. He left everything behind. He left the keys to the, uh, to the U-Haul truck behind. I think the, Rental credit contract, card. he left credit, a credit card. card, his yeah. phone. I call yeah. those breadcrumbs. I mean, that's that really is ridiculous. So, I mean, he rented a vehicle in his name in an urban location like New York, which is, he rented. I mean, he no, he rented it from Wisconsin and drove it in there. Yeah, and he drove why? it to New York. Why? I mean, what, what? What? Why would you go into New York? I mean, last time I was in New York, New York you get a car there, you're just stuck. It's insane, right? I mean, and this is a guy who theoretically has a relationship with the city of Chicago because he's got a number of addresses. 
and seems to have spent a, a fair amount of time between Indiana, uh, Chicago, and Wisconsin, that whole kind of tri-state area. He could have just gone to Chicago because they've got subways there. Lori Lightfoot's a shitty mayor. She pops up on, on, on a profile that clearly he is against because he's made a number of videos where he's quote unquote homophobic. Right. So why not just drive to Chicago? It's a lot closer. Yeah. Or just fly in or take a bus or something, but yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Rent a vehicle from Wisconsin, drive into Brooklyn of all places, which is just, you know, Eric Adams old district, by the way. <laughs> you, know, you got a you all what's going to move. Is he moving? Did he have bring his furniture with him or something? I guess that part hasn't been stated, but he's sure to use it on this crime is absurd because he's waddling around. He's six foot tall, 300 pounds. I have a clip of him waddling down the sidewalk. Can you play? Can you play that? Let me see if I can find it. I have it on the, uh, this is, it's the, uh, the arrest. Is it the arrest? Uh, I, I started out here is the morbidly obese, rather handicapped, quote unquote, Mr. James. He waddles toward the subway station, carrying a bag and a suitcase. Why did he, why did he need an abandon a, I have a rental car. It was a rental truck. Yeah. Let, let me scroll down that. a little bit here. Um, it shows him walking down the street. I think everybody Yeah, here we go. Here this. we go. This is, this is, here we go. I have the sound down on it, but that's okay. All right. Now this guy is five. Oh, look at that. Yeah, let's look at this one. But look, the next, I'm look really looking at the next one, and he's walking down the sidewalk. Here, okay. he looks like he's dim-witted. He can't even figure out how to get into the the turnstool. Well, it, it's it's very uh, right, exactly. Yeah, look at him. And again, it's very dubious. It's like, is this the guy? Now he's got a lazy left eye. Now he's pointing this out like it's not working. Oh my god! Well, just go go over to the next one, dude. <laughs> he looks like a pumpkin. What a ridiculous thing! Yeah, and there's nothing. There's no identifying features. You don't know who that is. Exactly. Okay, then the one right below that I think is worth watching. Just so you can okay. kind of get. All right, get let's his, let's get to that one. What kind of tremendous physical ability he has to carry out this crime and multitask and? Oh yeah, this is the one. This is the uh, the clip that I was referring to. Here we go. Of course, well, we have he's this. Got a, he's got a fucking suitcase and a bag. What, why? And there's the orange vest, not right. green, like they keep right. saying. He's kind of limping a little bit. He's 62 years old. He's 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 not in great shape. Well, if this is even him, right? I mean, we don't even know him. if this is him because it's just so utterly bizarre. Let me go back to your article. Um, maybe we're right here. Now, by the way, when he goes into the subway entrance, this is at 6.15 in the morning. This is like a full two and a half hours before he opened up on the passengers at the 36th Street Station. So he gets up early, waddles down the street. He's got a rental truck parked someplace. And then he shows up two and a half hours to enter the subway. What, what's, what's he doing in the next two and a half hours? Yeah, that's a, that's a big gap. Like, lie down on a bench and take a nap or what the heck yep that is that is a big gap have all and, kinds of should have all kinds of surveillance video on what his activities are but it is it is the one subway station in new york where the three cameras are down yeah but this one shows him entering the, what's called the king's highway subway at 6 15 a.m 
Let's play this clip. I mean, let me go back here. I want to add a little bit of sound to this because I want to hear Eric Adams make an idiot out of himself. All right, let's play this. My fellow New Yorkers, we got it. We got it. <laughs> we got him. We got that yeah. motherfucker. We got his ass. Everything I see is sketchy. I, 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 first of all, I don't think he's real, but let's assume that he's some kind of a patsy. That's a, that's another possibility. Well, I think he's a patsy because I I yeah. you know I sent you the uh, some of those YouTube video clips of him, and so he has a history of content. Like this guy's got a history of content. He was on Facebook for a long time. Uh, of course, Zuckerberg and all the Facebook you know clowns. You let him put whatever he wanted on his Facebook page. And a lot of it was pretty, you know, we would probably deem that as being quote unquote hateful, right? He's clearly anti-white, but he's not just anti-white. He's anti kind of white black, you know, he's, you know, what they would call pro black, uh, but pro kind of negative black. So he doesn't just have this scorn for whitey. He's got scorn for liberal establishment blacks. And, you know, when I, when I started to look at this, I'm like, you know, who does this sound like? It sounds like Jason Whitlock and Jason Whitlock is nowhere near this, you know, this lumpy patsy, but that's Jason Whitlock's platform. He, you know, he's attacking the liberal establishment. He's always going after the uh, LGBTQ MIA plus mafia. Um, and, and he has a lot of programming that's based around this stuff. Right. And so Frank James, he, he shows up and he's kind of like this cipher of Jason Whitlock, because there is this rising tide of black men who are starting to finally get it. And they're like, you know, we're being screwed over here and we need to, you know, have a stronger voice and start to speak out against this stuff. And then what do you have? You got this guy. And what is he? He's like this cutout for people like Jason Woodlock, what I would call this emerging consciousness of black men who are watching them, their lives, right? Their lives and their livelihood is being passed by by black women who are being uh, enabled and uh, fast-tracked to climb the system ahead of them. They're starting to see this now and they're not happy about it. So- And then it's, and then it's all kind of overlaid with this Will Smith- incident the will smith thing is part of it it's part of it right it is part of this new psyop and then you have this clown eric adams you know you know who reminds me of did you ever see um the fifth element did you ever see the fifth element with bruce willis no so in the fifth element the president of the entire earth is the guy who played tiny on fridays Right. He's like, he's like this, you know, this big thug who has become the president of earth. It's kind of this, <laughs> it's kind of this interesting little joke that it's like, that, it's uh, like the old movie escape from New York almost. <laughs> right. It's yeah. But he plays it very straight and he, and he plays it very kind of authoritarian in some ways. Right. Luke, Luke Besson, who's the director had a very interesting kind of insight into where power was headed in the United, in the world, right. By making this guy, the president, it's kind of like what star Trek did when they made Stacey Abrams, the president of the earth. Well, you know, they just did that recently in like one of these new star Trek episodes. 
So it's an updater. Eric Adams reminds me of that character from The Fifth Element. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know too much about his background or why he's a big. Oh, I, I do. I know. I've I've dove into him for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't. I didn't get around to your show on that one. But uh, we have an old. We had an old saying in Kansas growing up: is that when you saw a, a turtle on a fence post, the ad, and you ask the question, "Well, how'd that happen?" The answer is somebody put him there. <laughs> No Kansanism. Oh, without without <laughs> a doubt. That's, maybe that's Texas too, probably. <laughs> well, it would it would fit here because we do have some turtles here. Um, yeah. So okay, Adams says that he's going to be tough on crime. Now, this guy, Frank James, actually made a video. This is where it gets really weird, because, you know, is he somebody that is a patsy? Excuse me, and a setup where New York is going. Now, he makes a video that's critical of Eric Adams and calls him out because Eric Adams is going after the homeless because that's what he's going to do. It's going to be a cosmetic war on crime. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to, we're going to clean up the streets and we're going to pick up the homeless and we're going to get them the hell out of here. You know, it's just this low-hanging fruit. And Frank James is basically saying, well, of course, you know, and who are the homeless? Well, it's mo mostly black people and, you know, mostly uh, black people are addicted to drugs. But that's true, right? He's not saying anything that's not true. And so he does a bit of a diss video for Eric Adams. And then where does he go? He goes to Brooklyn where Eric Adams has been the mayor, right? Does he have you know, the wherewithal to understand and know all this? I don't know. But clearly within 48 hours, this is a major win for Eric Adams. We got him. We got him. Right, so he's going to turn this into a political victory. Yeah, the, well, another thing that doesn't combine with this, Mister James, is that his angst was—I mean, it seemed like it was mostly against Whitey. Was that correct? Well, it was whites and white blacks, right? Like he has—he had a special animus reserved. So mixed for, marriages and things like that. Exactly. Are, exactly. People, so, yes. Okay, yeah. so he's a kind of a black nationalist. But they could—they would call like, um, yeah. Um, yeah, black truth or black nationalist or pro-black. That's the phrase. Well, he, pro -black. Must, you know, he must not be that anti-white because if you look at the, I have this clip called the Brooklyn subway shooting and there's really not too much video of the victims of this thing. I'm going to play it right now. How many white people do you see? I see Asians, Hispanics, blacks, mixed race folks here. Okay, so now there's this guy who's on the subway platform. Let's back this up a little bit. Too bad I can slow this down. If it was on YouTube, I can but slow the, this down. the larger point I'm making, separate from all the little detail you're seeing here, the song and dance, is that we're all the white victims. These are mostly people of color, what you call people of color. Right. Now, the, the, the quote unquote white victims are taking the car service. 
Um, exactly. Let's see. Riding, uh, riding subway. So what, it's, it's, not, it's a totally illogical target. You go after low, lower class people that are of color riding the Brooklyn subway. It makes no sense. If this guy is such a devoted black nationalist and, and willing to lay it all down, you'd be going after high value targets. That's the story with all these things. That's what you know, Russ. You you bring up a great point. Like, why isn't he in Wall Street? Yes, exactly. Or whoever he's venting against, or the Upper right. West Side, right? Like, why is he down here, hanging out with the you know quote unquote rabble of New York City and trying to make it a point here? Yeah, that's a great. That's a that's a great observation. Now, no, I want you to notice that forty-seven seconds. Let's play this so everybody can see it. All right. Uh, you have a way of slowing it down a little bit. Like I, you know, I, I don't. Uh, Twitter does not allow me to do that. If this was on Twitter, YouTube, yeah. I could probably do. It. But let's here. Let's back it up to about. 40. Now you'll notice is this lady in maroon, maroon throws down a bunch of blood on the floor. Forty-seven, starting at forty-seven seconds. Happens fast, but you can see it. Yeah, I just saw it. There it is. So she's wearing this, uh, what is it, like a raincoat or something? Right right there. She's right there. Right there. And then she is depositing something on the ground. And so let's just see if we can back that up a little bit. Really slow it down. It's clearly blood, blood splatter. You can see it right there. You can begin to see it right here, right? Let's back it up a little bit more. So that's the little breadcrumbs they like to throw out the black magic so that the. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And then, so the, when I first saw the, uh, the stills, cause it was breaking when I was doing my show a couple of days ago. So, so let me go look at this. And I started to look at the, the stills and the stills just immediately. I'm like, this is fake. Right. It just felt like these people have blood packs um, you know, it, it, there was a guy who has the, his cell phone out, right. And he's doing a cell phone thing. There's that one image. And I think Frank James is on the cell phone. We're like, how does that happen? You know, how is he? Cause you can see on his cell phone. How does 300 pound lard ass uh, multitask so well. Right. <laughs> and, leave all, and then also leave all the shit behind. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. And look, I've never been shot. Right knock on wood, but if you've never been shot before and you're shot, I would assume you're freaking out. You're shrieking, you're screaming. You may have a delay in the pain because of the adrenaline and you know, the, uh, the, the endorphins that are unleashed and you have kind of an opioid like response early to deal with the pain. But after that subsides, you're in deep pain. And this guy's got his cell phone up. Like, really right. it doesn't it, it does it doesn't match it doesn't fit the like the intensity of that moment it's kind of like these these clips where you've got a bunch of dead people and one guy gets up to you know smoke a cigarette or something out of the you know out, you've seen those right like oh look at all these dead people this guy gets up and oh hey let me smoke a cigarette are we done here yet and they come back over and they put the tarp back on them it's kind of like that and have you have you seen them try to show a, some kind of a simulation of the event anywhere or they just kind of leave that up to the imagination shot 33 times and blah you know that's all you need to know yeah Nothing i haven't see seen any I, yeah no there they have at least 33 times 
at least could have been more at least now here's the other part that like this guy has been all over media social media and russ he's not that hard to miss right he's not that hard to miss there's a fifty thousand dollar reward out for him where is he going to go in new york Right. <laughs> well, but 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 if it, oh, so, well, if he's going to spend the night at a hotel, what do you need? Credit card. So he's not going to be able to spend the night at a hotel. Right. Right. You know. Right. So he's out on the street somewhere. And yep. and and we live in a completely immersive media bubble. Like it wouldn't take people more than three or four hours to recognize this dude. And make that call. But then he makes that call and he calls crime busters. It's like, what is up with that? And of course he's, Hey, I'm at McDonald's. <laughs> well, that part makes sense. It looks like he spent a fair amount of time at McDonald's. Yeah. He's just, uh, walking around. I have a pic. There's a picture of him. I have it labeled man about town. Just walking down the sidewalk. We got to pick somebody captured a picture of him. Yeah, it's like this dude is unmistakable. But you know, nobody exactly knows what he looks like because, they, like I say, they didn't have the surveillance cameras set up. And even if they did, this guy's kind of covered in sort of this uh, garb that where you can't really identify him. He's wearing a hat. He's wearing a vest. He's got a mask on his face. They've got a. They have a bad ID out on him. Five five one seventy. That's pretty serious. To miss the idea, the physical size of the guy by that much, that's almost uh, criminally negligent work by the police. Right, right. And, and to your point, like if this guy ever stands trial, which I doubt that he will, I don't think he'll ever stand trial. It'll be one of these, you know, basically drive-through yeah, drive verdicts. Yeah, right. Um, but if they did, it, that would be a huge red flag. It's like, well, you identified him. And that was the police captain who identified him as being five foot five, one eighty. That wasn't just, you know, the the New York Post or something like that. That was a police captain. So that's the serious disconnect between, you know, who they thought he was and who he actually is. Um, what? So now, <clears throat> I think this kind of factors into this a little bit, and this is weird because I think it gets into some supernatural territory. Because now there's this other shooting that took place in Grand Rapids with this Patrick Loyola guy. Do you know about this? Uh, no. When did that happen? That happened right around the same time as Mr. Frank James went into the uh, subway in New York City. So Patrick Loyola, and this is a this was this is a legit uh, shooting, and so it. it there's a lot this of elements. Dominate. Oh, this Frank James thing just totally dominated. I, I watched, I very rarely watched U.S. news. Right. I had the CBS news on all morning here. And it was nonstop for five, six hours. Even Bloomberg spent about half their time talking about it. Right. It, and it just seemed completely out of proportion for, to the, there's no, nobody died. No, nobody died. And the details are very, odd and vague yep very odd and vague uh, but i think i think there's an agenda behind it and the agenda obviously in my you know um you know perspective or point of view is that number one eric adams is really tight with the crypto community he's been photographed with eric schmidt 
of uh, Alpha, right? Formerly of Google, Eric Schmidt, one of the big brains. And Eric Adams wants to turn New York City into a biometric city. And that would include Q codes in order to access things like the subway and or public services. I can guarantee you this is where this is going. Okay. Interesting. Right? It makes and, a lot of sense. Yep. And then so, so sort of a sort of big beta test to do it on a large city. Right. Exactly. Like we can't have this again. So, you know, and you, and by the way, what did they show? They showed him having a hard time with that little subway card. When I've, I never read the subway in New York. Sometimes they screw up a little bit. Well, okay. Well, guess what? If there was a Q code and you had a Q code, you wouldn't have that problem. Number one, number two, we would know who was coming in and out of our subways that's where this is headed on that level. There's also the gun thing. It's very hard to get a gun in New York City. Now it'll be next to impossible after this. So that's that's another element. Um, and it will be another opportunity for Eric Adams to, not just Eric Adams, but Kathy Hockle, because she was in on this and she's a nutbag. And she's going to go all in on making guns harder to get outside of New York City because she's the governor I think she might've won one election in her entire life. And even that was dubious. So they'll crack down on people like in, you know, Western New York, where it's a very different environment than New York city. And there are people up there who do have guns and they do go hunting, right? Well, they'll crack down on those people too. So they'll use this as a political moment to assert more power. Yeah, They're also going to up the budget for quote unquote surveillance because clearly it was deficient here. Right. And some, and, and some uh, Big shots, probably going to get the contract for that. Oh, Eric Adams has this all worked out. Trust me. That's his MO. He already has his vendors pre-approved, lined up. This is how he got into power. He he is like... Get federal, get federal money to come in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's a... Eric Adams is not book smart. He's not, he's not book smart. He's, he's dyslexic. Right. He's he's managed to get some degrees, but he's street smart. He's very street smart. He knows how to make deals. He knows how to um, play any side that he needs to play in order to get political advantage. So well, the, that, the media, the Lugan press uh, did not run away from this, the surveillance camera deficiency. They've spent some time on it and interviewed some people I noticed. And I kind of thought, well, that's interesting. And if they're not hiding this. Exactly well, there's, like, there's a reason exactly why. Like the, it's not like the Pentagon on 9-11 when 99 out of 100 security cameras didn't work. Nothing like that. But never, well, nobody yeah. knows about <laughs> Yeah. So there's, there's, a re there's a reason why, right? Because, well, let's just get cameras everywhere. Let's turn New York City into London. And let's have a massive CCTV. Uh, people people running the monitors, you know, putting eyes on it. Computers, probably computer detections. Right, right. And also, and this is what they love to do. They'll turn the they'll turn the citizens who are really the inmates into the prison guards. And yeah. they'll they'll have apps on their phones that will connect into whatever mainframe or network that they're running the surveillance on. So instead of having all these cameras, which they'll have they'll basically weaponize the populace so that the populace with their cell phones and their apps now become the CCTV. That'll happen. Well, who dominates this surveillance industry? China, China, China you know, and Israel. 
Israel is also yeah. very deeply connected into surveillance and biometric accumulation of biometric data. Right. So that's they're going to get big contracts. That makes that makes total sense. Eric Adams has been to Israel five times. What was his purpose there besides kissing the wall? Did he actually what, was looking into surveillance equipment? <laughs> well, you, you know, it was it was during that time. I, I think well, they might be using drones too. Well, it was during that time when Israel's was bringing a bunch of people over from like police chiefs and captains, and he was a captain, so that they could be trained in like um, you know Israeli defense, Israeli security. In Israeli policing. So they were bringing all these people over from the United States. Like the guy who was the uh, police chief of Ferguson, whose name I forget, he went to Israel. Like he went there. He went there on guess who's dime? The Department of Homeland Security. So the yeah, Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. So they were sending these people over to Israel, you know, and they would go there two, three, four, five times, and they would say, Well, this is how we deal with the Palestinians. Right. And so they would they would get them into this mindset and they would train them and then they would come back and bring that training into the local police department. And of course, one of the things that they started to also do was to bring in these Krav Maga instructors and Krav Maga is an Israeli version of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So now you have that right now you have this other overlay. That's going on there. And of course, so you just like start kicking the crap out of people. Huh? Right. Exactly. If, exactly. And then, you know, Israel has been deeply involved in like the NSA. I've talked about this before. You know, there's this company called Varent and I forget the other one. I always want to call it like Nalus or something like that. But Varent is one of two companies were, I'm not sure if they still are. I'm, I bet you they are one of two companies that were essentially running the NSA surveillance program, right? So the NSA outsourced their surveillance program to an Israeli company. And this is not uncommon, by the way. So this company, Varent, you know, would basically set up the pipeline and, you know, the fiber optics and all the stuff, right? So the NSA could be watching this video right now, but guess who else is watching this video? Israel's watching this video. So these are- I put a, I put a, Paragraph, I'll read this to you because I think it ties into what you're saying about the psychology, the, the psyop part of it. Yeah. And I say, what, what, are, what we are asked to believe, the Keystone cops were handicapped on this one because, wouldn't you know it, the MTA surveillance cameras weren't working at the subway station involved. That's more Hanlon's razor for the pajama people to grin and bear. Hanlon's razor states that don't attribute to malice what could be attributed to uh, incompetence. And it's a false razor. It's, bull, it's a bullshit razor. But anyway, the intent here is to provide you with their new underworld order for the purpose of permeating distrust for the old order. So problem, reaction, solution. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, well, and then if you look at the, uh, the political topography of mayors throughout the United States, they're not too dissimilar from Eric Adams, right? There's the male version of Eric Adams, and then there's the female version of Eric Adams, whether it's Lori Lightfoot, London Breed, uh, the mayor of Atlanta, the mayor of Washington, D.C., right? So there's- a lot, of the, well, you know, a lot of this ties into the, the releasing of all these criminals. Right. And he was one of them, by the way. He pushed for that? He was one of these people that was released. 
And so was the yeah, guy. Frank, what, what, what was, uh, what is, uh, so they're doing a shift. They did problem reaction solution. They bring in all these uh, crooked, these weak DAs and different law enforcement people in these key cities, beta cities, let's call them. Yes. Release all these criminals and just bring the quality of life down. And New York City's really been one of that. So he basically gets elected as a backlash to that. Is that the way I understand it? No, I don't think he's elected as a backlash to that. He is elected because he's part of it. He's part, he's Eric, again, Eric Adams, after he spent his time as a captain, Eric Adams was part of a gang in New York City called the so, Crown, so Crown he, What's Sevens. his responsibility for releasing all the crooks and criminals? Well, it, it, so that happened under de Blasio's watch and and yeah. um, uh, the other guy, the Italian guy, Andrew Cuomo's Cuomo. watch. Yeah, so, and they did that across the board. They did it in California, Newsom released a bunch of criminals and Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah, three weeks, yeah. ago, three weeks ago in, in Sacramento, they had a big shootout and there was a legit shootout. And the guy who was um, the, the shooter who was taking out a lot of people was a guy who was, he, he was a hardcore felon. And I think he'd been in prison for attempted murder or something like that. What does he do? He gets into a shootout at an event in Sacramento and it's like, you know, and they, it, so initially they're like, you know, Oh, guns, man, we got to really crack down on guns. This is, this is terrible. And then, and, and what happened with that shooting is that there was another guy that had the same name, but he was not black. He was white. He kind of looked a little, you know, bikerish or something. So immediately they jumped on this thing as a white hate shooting. But hours later, they find out, well, this is not the guy. And this is the guy. And he'd been released from one of Newsom's prisons. Right. So this is a problem. And they've, they've unleashed this criminal class. It's almost like a plot from a Batman film, right? Where they would like, they let go of all the prisoners out of, out of a oh, prison. Yeah, they're out there. It's very, very, very serious. Yes, crime yes. waves, and that, and that's what everybody's complaining about in New York City, and so that to revive New York City, clearly you're going to have to get this these people cleaned up and put back into jails and prisons. Are they willing to do that? Well, in this situation with uh, our man uh, Frank James, it, again, it's dubious as to whether or not he did any of this, and you know, rep actually represents that, that criminal class. So somebody like Eric Adams, who, who was in a gang called the crown sevens and sort of operates like a mob boss in his own way, it would be very easy for him to connect in with a number of these gangs in New York city, which are still very powerful. And if you go back and you watch some of the George Floyd footage where it, everything was on fire, there were very sophisticated gangs in New York that would show up literally in limos and they would go to these high-end jewelers and they had, you know, blow torches, you know, oxycetylene blow torches, state-of-the-art, like, you know, radial saws. And, you know, they went in and these guys were professionals and they went in and they got into these jewelry stores and they emptied them within minutes. Right. So, so these, this class of criminal is operating. Right. They're operating in New York City. Right. Eric Adams probably knows who these people are. 
it would be very easy for him to just sit down with these, these crime lords and just say, look, you know, you're the guys that are going to police this and I'm going to send you money. So you're gonna have to keep the crime down, right? We'll let you do certain things. You know, we'll let you do high end drug crime or high end sex trade crime, but citizen on citizen crime, you're going to be responsible. I can see him doing that. Right. And mm-hmm. making those deals because he knows those people in the meantime, what he'll do is he'll make it incredibly hard for the average person to access anything in New York city. If you're going to, ha- if you're going to access it, it'll start with subways and government buildings and it'll extend all the way into private businesses. And it'll all be the Q code because Eric Adams is way into crypto. He's way into people like Eric Schmidt. And I guarantee you that's, that's what they have lined up. And to your point, which you brought up, this will be the beta test for other American cities. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of cities probably this uh, summer that are going to start burning. That's the next phase. Well, they're certainly burning farmland. Yeah. They're burning farmland here. Once they start to burn in the cities, they better have some surveillance cameras working. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I, I think the, I think the big burns now are going to be in rural America. That's where I think the fires are headed because here in Texas, we've had two significant fires, one uh, near uh, temple, Texas. And I saw the aerial footage of this and you know, the big blaze and you, you just see cattle running away from the fire. Right. And then we had another big fire south of San Antonio, like 400 acres. You're starting to see this now. And the, the, they have these food processing plants. Like there was one in um, Stockton, California, and that caught on fire this last week. And it was, they were just building this thing. Right. So we're seeing this, um, you know, this targeted sort of, you know, warfare against food and food production. And, and you, think, the, you think it's, I think it might be arson. Of course it is. Of course it is. And I, and I also think, and I talked about this yesterday that you, know, the Biden administration is going to farmers and basically saying, look, we're going to, we're going to pay you not to grow food. <laughs> and, and if you grow food, we're going to tax the shit out of you. So you have two options. Right. You can either stop growing food and we'll pay you for it. That's not a bad deal, is it? Or if you grow up, well, and I think the third option, if they're just stubborn, right, they sit down and they show them a video of a farm on fire. I think that I think that's kind of the Kennedy moment for these farmers. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I call sub zero policy. I have a name for for these kind of policies, sub zero, which is designed to destroy the country. And of course, another one is this emptying out of the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Yep. Uh, from expediency to kind of, uh, you know, glut, glut the market a little bit with oil for a month or so and uh, just allow a little bit of a break to everybody. Absolutely. Yep. But there's a price to pay for that because you're, you're running through the SPR. And meanwhile, you have very tense global uh, geopolitical situation around the world. This is no time to do that. That's sub, those are sub-zeros. So those are, those are really the policies that people should be looking at, what you just described on, on farming, on food, on these sanctions of like here in Europe where they're not going to buy Russian gas, really? Yeah. yeah. Are you prepared to do that? And then they come up with this deal to uh, uh, substitute for Russian natural gas with Germany. 
imports was importing 155 billion cubic meters. I believe that's the met the metrics on it of natural gas. Their their storage is nearly empty. They're not going to take the natural gas. They won't pay the rubles for it. And so they make a deal with the United States with great fanfare to send 15 billion cubic feet of liquefied natural gas to replace the 155. So the United States gets a little market there, but that's sub-zero policy. At what cost to the, to the people? Right. It's yeah. not enough to cover. It's not enough to cover the big. Right. So now in Europe, um, we're, they're going into spring and summer. So the component for heating the homes is going to be, um, you know, less um, uh, uh, dependent. Right. They're, so they can kind of, you know, get through the spring and the summer with maybe a little bit less. But if this thing continues to go into the fall and the winter and it's at this level or worse, then it's, I think it's, it's curtains, it's lights out for Europe um, in that regard, because they won't be able to make it through that winter. Well, they may, they may uh, have to do rationing even the spring and summer. There's that low, you know, they have no room for air and the rationing is going to be carried out against industry. Right. And that gets people into forced austerity, right? This is what they want to do. They want to get people to become accustomed to austerity, but it's forced austerity. It's not like, you know, Hey, look, you know, we're having a really hard time right now. Let's all pull together. Okay. Well, I'll sacrifice a little of this because, you know, it'll be, you know, like the war effort in the United States or whatever, right back in world war II, but it's forced austerity. I've seen this happen again and again And again, and it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. Yeah, better get used to it. So, you know, where do we go from here? Because I, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, that there are solutions to the problems and the world that we're living in. Although it's getting harder and harder because the, the dominant paradigm, you know, keeps defining the rules of engagement with this world. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked about Asha Logos before and, you know, creating kind of a parallel society and parallel systems. Where, where are you with that these days? You know, I, I wish I was more knowledgeable and stronger about the, the, the counteroffensive. Mostly I kind of focus on what I think people should actually be looking at and have yep. trying, and trying to get people away from uh, what I call these uh, flash issues that don't really matter. You know, this that that's that that was Trump. That's what Trump was all about. You know, he's they're talking about you know running him again. Well, that just tells you that the focus is going to be on uh, issues that really aren't critical. And mean, and meanwhile, the, the critical issues of what we just talked about this forced austerity, yeah. and, and people really aren't you know, Biden blame it on Putin. That's not very mature leadership. Well, p- people are, you know, in the States, people are just over Biden and it's a joke. And and he's supposed to be a joke. He's supposed to be a laughingstock. He's supposed to be this, this daily symbol of incompetence, 
senility and demoralization. Well, I right? think that I think yeah, I think there's a political crisis coming in Europe and the United States. And he's he, he's going to have to he'll go <laughs> he has to go he's, oh he'll, he'll be gone he'll Joe Biden will be gone Warren, he'll have a Warren G Harding moment where he has a stroke or something or right. they'll say you know you're not capable of doing this anymore and there'll be a cabinet meeting and maybe maybe before the midterm elections they could make it look very sympathetic they they could play this to say you know great man great leader. Maybe he overstayed his welcome. Maybe it was a mistake in our political system to get him in there, but we're going to remove him and then honor him. You know, she shower all kinds of that of, of honors on him for being a, a man of courage, a man of conviction who stepped down because he realized that he had Alzheimer's disease, you know, that as, as a mature leader and play it that way and then bring in uh, uh, Kamalia Harris as a jackal looks like a jackal, acts like a jackal, a cackling jackal. And you talk about a turtle on a fence post. Yeah. Oh, I've, we've done deep dives on Kamala Harris and how she got into power. Um, so that, you know. that whole scenario, that's a real political crisis. Oh, it's huge. I mean, theoretically, and people may not want to hear this, but if the system is rigged, and we clearly know that the system is rigged, Kamala Harris could be president of the United States for 10 years. Think about that. Right, right. She could easily win the next election and the election after that. because A total, uh, total puppet. Oh, yeah. That's like... I don't know too much about, it, about her husband, but her husband is another one of these... Uh, Odd characters kind of reminds me of Kushner in the Trump administration. Well, he's he clearly he's part of one of the most powerful law firms on the planet, and he Jewish, and, yeah, and he's Jewish. So, so when I say planet, I mean planet because they have law offices everywhere. It's not it's not just New York or L.A. He does live in L.A. That's where the office is. So there's your power structure. Once once absolutely, absolutely. So you know that's. That's the power behind the throne is really the first man, as they call him, the first. So pe you know, people people really need to understand that. I don't know, and I don't know too much about that law firm. But having this conversation, I was talking to my colleague, you know, uh, Torchy about it, and she was talking about it. And I said, "Well, we got to research this because that's going to that's the rule. That's going to be ruling the country. These this law firm and this mm -hmm. husband of hers because she's not capable of it." No. She's, she's not capable of it. She's not capable of much of anything. Like every, every time she's gone to represent the country, whatever country she's gone to, she's an embarrassment. And people on her staff, they quit on her because they can't stand being around her. You know, she's petulant. She's not, I don't think she's very bright. So she's not very bright. She's petulant. She's spoiled. Um, you're, you're living with, you know, you know, working for a diva and not a very talented diva. Like if you're a talented diva, people will put up with your, your diva shit. But if you're not talented, and people will be, people will be screaming for Hillary. But... <laughs> well, you know, you know, Russ, you know, I have this theory that if Hillary, everybody says, well, gee, if Hillary had won, boy, we'd have done this. We'd have done that. We'd have done war. It's like, you know, if Hillary had won, the so-called right and the conservatives 
would have been in full-on attack mode with Hillary, and they would have been on the offensive against her. And they could have made her... And people don't remember that if she had won, that the Republicans had taken both the House and the Senate, she would have had at least two years of major obstructions, and she could have had an absolutely horrific presidency. But instead, we got Trump, and what did they do? They went full court press on Trump all the way, impeached him twice, right? And did everything in their power to uh, obstruct anything that he theoretically could have done. So, you know, would having Hillary been president been the worst thing? Maybe not. Maybe not. It's all revisionist at this point, and I don't think she, I don't think she'll ever step foot in the White House. Um, I think we're all she's, we're too, all, she's too old too. I mean, especially after Biden, you can't really you got to And Trump's too old. Uh, but I don't know what the politics. I don't know what the Republicans are planning on doing. But to have Trump run run for office in this scenario with Biden, you know, it's a political crisis, and they want it that way. Sure, because the idea is a new underworld order. Yeah, and, and Trump, by the way, is completely losing his cachet. Uh, he, you know, he's been having these rallies and, and fewer and fewer people are showing up at these rallies. Okay. I mean, before they were a big deal, right? It was like, it was like a revival. Um, and now he's, he's lucky if he's getting like 2000 people at these events. Yeah. Because you can't just make it. Everybody knows that Biden's a bum. You can't just run your whole campaign against Biden. You could run, right. run it against Trump. That's what they did to get Biden elected. But that formula is, only works once and just running against the the dementia joe i don't think that's going to have too much appeal to the public no i don't think so either and trump you know he comes out and he endorses these candidates and they're all freaking rhinos and the, his latest endorsement is you know dr oz from the oprah winfrey show and dr oz is he's a big gun control guy He's, you know, part of the World Economic Forum. I, I mean, he's not a good dude. He's a big, you know, red flag guy. Like, you know, we need to take guns away from people that we think are dangerous. And this is the guy that Trump is endorsing. And every time he endorses somebody like this, his credibility actually drops. Like, it drops further and further and further. So by the time we get to 2024... If he's still around and he plans on running and we have elections in 2024, that bus is running on empty. There's nothing there. I guarantee you that. Even, even the most deficit version of American politics, which probably would be Kamala Harris at that time, I don't think people would really want to line up behind Trump. I think they may want to line up behind a guy like Ron DeSantis, but you know, he's he, you know, he went to uh uh, he went to Yale, right? Probably a skull and bones guy. He's been to Israel a couple of times. You know, he, he's down in, uh, you know, Chabad, America in Florida, right? So Ron DeSantis is, everybody loves him, but, I, you know, he's, he's probably bought and sold and paid for it. And in fact, he even, if I'm not mistaken, he even brought Israel into Florida, he brought the, if I'm not mistaken, he brought the IDF into Florida as like part of NATO or some shit. So Israel actually has an operational facility in Tampa. And then Ron DeSantis was like, good job. Well, so the, 
most likely they're going to have a caricature of some type that I would almost characterize as antichrist. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we we could talk we could talk about there. And there's plenty of candidates for that. Um, but I think yeah, the, the the big savior is really not a savior at all. That that seems to be the what's ahead. So here's here's where I think this is all going right. So Kamala Harris probably I would I I've said she'll be president. I'll I'll stand by that. I don't think Biden finishes the term, but we're seeing the cultivation of a different kind of character and a different kind of power that operates outside of the political spectrum. And the person that comes to mind that, that fits that bill is Elon Musk. Now I'm not an Elon Musk supporter. I think he's kind of a phony, but you can see how he's garnering and generating power with Twitter. He's in the news all the time, right? So he's symbolic of a move towards something outside of the political spectrum. And, you know, then we get into this whole discussion around communitarianism and, you know, and Musk is in that, he's in that category. And, and so that's a whole other thing that is developing, right? Like, because this whole governmental stuff, to your point, is collapsing. It's utterly collapsing. So they need to have something new, a new organizing principle for people to be a part of. And so I think it's more of this private class Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or a consortium of these people who wind up having more of the power in taking on more of the um, kind of older political structures, but they're still part of it, right? They're just the, like the newer, they just shinier. Sort of, they, just put a, they put a populist veneer on it a little bit. Yeah, it's like the new shiny version of it, right? Oh, <clears> look, <throat> you know, it's the new shiny version. Um, so I think that's kind of where this is headed. And well, so money, to money talks in the United States. I mean, it just dominates everything. So yes. unless you're a billionaire, uh, you, you know, there's no William Jennings Bryan's out there. There's nothing like that. Doesn't, there's no, no, you're not going to see somebody who's a populist, a real, a real populist. No. And I don't think Trump was a real populist. Although, although people did relate to him because he was rough around the edges. But I'm talking about even I'm talking about even richer than tr Trump because he's kind of almost like a phony rich. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and I'm not even sure how much real money Musk has. I don't. Well, I don't. It's bubble. I, it's bubble money. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Tesla who knows? Stock. <laughs> who knows? Right. I'll tell you who does have a lot of coin is um, Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel has a lot of money. I, I think Peter Thiel. I think he's a bad actor. I think he is too. But he's got a lot. I mean, he claims to be a libertarian and all this shit. But I'm not convinced, right? I think he is a bad actor. He's got a lot of money, though, because he was in on a lot of these things very early on. Um, but the people that have money, real, real, F you, make a difference kind of money, they go along with the program, Russ. They, well, they, they, can, they can do pump and dumps. I mean, this whole uh, must thing. Who knows how much Twitter he, he bought or what he bought it for? He bought, you know, 10% position. <clears throat> at what price for how long and now he's got the you know, now he's got the price of the stock headed higher right exactly and so he does not hold the majority share anymore by he the way he can just dump it he's not the majority share guess who the majority shareholder is now paul, the paul singer paul singer in vanguard oh my god i could we could go into a whole show on him i know i have a lot of background on him paul singer he, is paul singer he's a, vulture. He's a he's total a vulture. vulture he's he's uh, he is a one of the biggest threats to america 
that exists right now. He's a huge threat. I knew he was a shareholder. So he, so he and the Saudis are the big shareholders of Twitter and kind of explains why Twitter is such a bad actor. And now you have Elon Musk that's holding out hope to people like us that, you know, you have to kind of clap to see what he's doing. You, you kind of have to like it. It's disruptive. Kind but of, yeah, who's whatever. to say he's not just doing a pump and dub to make some money on his Twitter position and just re- wash, rinse, and repeat? Well, you do, it with, do, it, do it with Bitcoin. I mean, you do it on Disney. There's a culture that needs to be changed. Yeah, well, that's been a long time coming, right? I mean, Disney has been descending into depravity for a while. And I'll tell you who's really, um, you know, kind of driving that bus is is Roy Disney's daughter. I think her name is Abigail or something like that. Like she has, she's been sort of this philosophical um, and humanitarian uh, voice behind this, this new iteration of Disney. I assume it's because she's inherited a lot of the stock, right? Absolutely. But she also, she's got, you know, she's got this weird kind of philanthropic feel good, um, you know, portfolio, which bleeds into the whole LGBTQ thing and, you know, equity and, 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 um, you know, uh, honoring, you know, people that, are you know people of color or whatever? I mean, that's that's her. You know, she fits the profile of a rich, entitled, <laughs> born on third base, liberal. And because that, that's these- that's what I call the old line cultural Marxist foundations. And if you start looking at who runs these foundations, and a lot of people don't even know who they are. We've written quite a few articles on it here and yep. there over the, over the last few years, describing who these people are. And that, that is a huge problem with the United States because, again, it's money that pushes this wokeism or pu- pushes this cultural d- depravity decline. And if there's not a counter to it, and I don't see any counters, do you? No, you no, there's, 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 there's I, 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 you know, when you open like the, 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 uh, the, the manhole to that world and you climb down that manhole into the foundation world. It, it is it is deep it is entangled they're able to move money through all these different various foundations right so it's a big money laundering scam these foundations and they're able to uh, use that money for significant influence and you know one of the families that's at the forefront of this foundational world are the Pritzker family out of Chicago and they are really big behind LGBTQ and transgenderism, and and I and you get on you go down that that rabbit hole, and they are investing in research through guess what the universities, they're investing in lobbying, they're investing in the media, they're investing in these um, these businesses that are like the support wing of the whole LGBTQ thing which is like counseling, right? This is a new like uh, 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 occupation. You can get certified in about 18 months to become a transgender counselor, right? And they have these places. They're specially set up so you can take your kid and the counselor knows exactly what to say. They're trained in supporting 
this young person's dysphoria or, or gender confusion, support them through that, and then help them in the transition process. And the, and the Pritzkers are behind, not just the Pritzkers, there are other people. Yeah, there's a whole California wing of them. And I, and I just asked the question, how is it even possible that so many of these wealthy foundations types are on board these issues, these woke issues, these transgender issues? Uh, how is it even possible? How, how, how could you have 100 billionaires and that 70 or 80% of them are all on board this weird shit? How, how do you even explain that? Yeah. So here's, here, here's what I, I think. I think you have to go all the way back to when, uh, who was it? Jacob Schiff met with like Rockefeller and JP Morgan and, you know, the robber barons, right? And you know, the story, JP, J Jacob Schiff introduces himself to them and says, you know, I'm, I'm a representative of Mr. Rothschild. I'm sure you've heard of him, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Mr. Rothschild would like to work with you and would, like to enhance your positions on certain things. And, and uh, basically they said, we're fine. We don't, we don't need Mr. Rothschild's help. And then I think it was either the next day or the day after like their Titanic, their <laughs> wealth, you know, their wealth through the stock market and various things dropped by about a quarter. Right. Yeah. Not a control over that kind of stuff. Right. So shift came back and said, well, you know, we noticed that you had a little bit of a problem there with your holdings. And he was basically saying, look, if, if you don't work with us, we're going to continue to do this. Or we're, we're going to ruin you. Right. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah thanks. You've, you've made that pretty clear. So we may as well work with you and we'll make more money instead of lose it all. I, and I think that's what happens for us. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the turtle on the fence post. Yeah. Yeah. They, they for just, all these people. Yeah. Yeah. They're put so, there. Yeah. And then maybe somewhere in the back of their mind, it's the, it's the political rationale, which is, well, you know, I'll do this, but maybe I can do some good, even though I'm doing a whole lot of bad. And yeah, well, there's only one way to explain this. And it's a grand conspiracy, exactly how you described it in the initial phase. It has to be a super control mechanism. It's no accident that 70 to 80% of the foundations are freaks. It's no accident. That's right. not possible. Right. Possible any uh, other way unless they're there unless there's the turtle on the fence post analogy and who yeah. put them there. And I think it's who you described. Maybe a slightly more complex, but something along that line. It's sort of a uh, you know, for a long time I thought it was kind of like a British deals, Judeo British, City of London. It's kind of morphed a little bit. The war business is very important aspect of it. These people don't seem to be, they seem to be largely neocons. By the way, you guys did a really good show on the neocons. You and yeah, Zephy, that, that was, was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 to that. yeah, yeah, I enjoyed doing that with those guys. And again, you know, we're up to our eyeballs in the freaking neocons in Ukraine. And, oh, it's, and, and, the, and how's that possible? I mean, I, I kind of get that part of it because it's war business and war business is highly profitable. And I, I understand maybe the power, the disposition of, of that. I'm having a really hard time with the cultural aspect of it and all these foundations being on board, this cultural rot. So overwhelming. It doesn't seem to be anybody decent with a couple billion dollars to weigh in on the other side. How's that? How can that even be possible? Yeah, it's so you have like, uh, like the DeVos family. 
and the DeVos family, of course, connected to Amway. They have a lot of money. Obviously, they have a shit ton of money. They own, I think, the Orlando Magic basketball team and supposedly conservative, you know, but where, where, where do they weigh in on any of this stuff? You know, you have the Mercer family uh, who were big backers of Breitbart and um, uh, Steve Bannon, right? And supposedly conservative, but, you know, it's always but, conservative with ties. But they're neocons. Country, right, ties of a certain country that, you know, they really have a very strong allegiance to, maybe more so than this one. So, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the conservative, who was the other guy? Was um, What was the guy? He was from California, Philip. I forget his last name now, but he was one of these guys, super rich. I think he spent a lot of time in Colorado. But even like the Walton family, who are freaking, you know, stinking rich, like they, they have absolutely zero yeah, interest. Yeah, just, got, just like Scotch-Irish Arkansas, you know, and, we're, and never really stepped up to the plate for true American values or anything like that. None of it. No, no. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's really very few people that are aligned with the values that, that we, you know, are, you know, we think are the, are, are the values that we should live by because they're the ones that keep us the most free and have the, have the greatest level of equality and truth and opportunity for people. There's, there's just not that many there who are, and if they are there, they're very quiet and they, and they probably try to do what they can behind the scenes. But it, it, this is an avalanche that we're dealing with now. Yeah. And then on the political side, you know, there's been a lot, a lot of people were purged in this sort of pre 9-11 era. You know, the uh, Wellstone, that was an assassination. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, John, you know, the Hunt or Heinz, I think that was a political assassination. I right. think that the, right. the guy Hale Boggs out there. In Alaska, oh yeah, Alaska, wow. That, that was, that's... That, I have a great article on that. Yeah, right. We've we've talked about the Hale Boggs thing, which is really weird. Really, really, really weird. Yeah, if you want to hear about a weird assassination that nobody knows about, just enter my go to my site and enter Hale Boggs and look into that story. Very few people have actually read that article, but that was that was really telling. Right, and um, the the weird thing is like baggage the whole baggage oh my god yeah. angle how oh. bizarre how bizarre is that no kidding <laughs> what is what the congressman baggage to remind everybody did you cover this on your show i i talked about it yeah but go ahead talk about it well just briefly essentially what happened is hale boggs goes out on a camp alaska on a camp on to campaign for this congressman baggage who's a friend of his and uh they got on a plane. I think they flew from where was it, Fairbanks to Anchorage or something like that. I forget which. Right. They, yeah. And they kind of went through this uh, valley uh, and just disappeared. <laughs> never and, found the plane. They never found the plane or the, or the bodies. Well, it turned out that Begish's wife was a girlfriend, was cheating on him, and was a girlfriend of this mobster mafia guy from Arizona. And so they they carried out the hit. That's right. They carried out the hit because Nick Baggage, the mob was moving in to Alaska to deal cocaine and to have whores, hookers, whatever, for the oil workers, right? They're, so they're building the pipeline. They're like, hey, man, we can make a lot of money 
selling cocaine to these, these roughnecks up there and, and supply them with women. And that's what they were doing. And Nick Bagich was not into it. Yeah, he was old school. He kind of wanted to, he was an old value type of guy. Meanwhile, so that, his, that's what his, we're talking about the purge. Yeah. His <laughs> wife is banging this, this mafia guy who's setting everything up and then getting orders to put a hit out on on Nick Bagich. And Hale Boggs is part of it. It's just the, the whole story's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. Yeah, I mean, the question is, did they what were the was Vegas the primary target? Seemed to be Hale Boggs was uh, was collateral damage, but the reasons to get rid of Hale Boggs too. So I I think it was just like the perfect uh, combo assassination for the uh, deep state or whatever you want to call it. But it's quite a quite a story, and I'll tell you what, I think I'm the only guy out there that's written the real details on this story. It's one of my one of the articles I'm most proud of, and it doesn't get any attention. So there, we stumbled across a really good podcast that that this journalist did who covered the story, and there's about four or five parts to it. It's a really good podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what I based him on my you, work. You know on. the one. You know the one I'm talking about, right? It's really yeah. Excellent. He he didn't really go deep enough down the rabbit hole, but he sure he certainly presented the the key factors, but he's kind of one of these guys that's afraid of being called a conspiracy theorist. Do you run right. He, he, he's, he's very clear about that. But what he does do is he does figure out and attribute enough evidence. I think this guy's name was Tony something, right? The guy from Arizona, he, there's enough evidence to like, you know, completely link it to him that he was the one that set everything up. I'll tell you another really weird political assassination and i believe it's an assassination is this guy scoop jackson right isn't that his name the the, the guy scoop um he's from idaho um the the senator from idaho do you know that story scoop jackson was the washington state uh, that's him it, it's scoop so scoop jackson well scoop jackson scoop jackson's kind of a uh, neocon he is a neocon he is absolutely the inspiration for the neocons but he, the Henry M. Scoop Jackson, the way that he died is really bizarre. So there was that Korean Airlines flight 007. Oh, oh, you're thinking, oh, you're thinking of a different guy. Oh, who are you thinking? No, of? no. Scoop Jackson talks about this. He talks about that flight going down. Oh, okay. He, KL, he gives KL, yeah, right. KL 007, right? which has the American congressman on there right. who, who is, right. you know, going after the communists. Right. And he's talking about what happened. He suffers a heart attack during the press conference. And I think either later that day or the next day, he's dead. Right. It's the weirdest what, thing, right? What do you think his connection was to get to this congressman going down? Well, I think they hit him with a heart attack. See, see, well, see, he was also on the intel, head of the intel intelligence committees or, for, right. or foreign right. policies. A bit, he was a very powerful, almost CIA-controlled uh, senator. Yeah, of, he, uh, he was Washington one of these. State. He was one of these guys who was a like a social dove. Like his his social right. policies were really liberal in a lot of ways. He was an environmental guy, but then he, he had Zionist. this. Whole, he was a Zionist. He was yeah, then he Zionist. had the whole the whole hawkish thing, right? 
He was a whole hawk. He was a big hawk. And he ran for, for president, but he was never very good at running for president. So this is the story here. It says on September 1st, 1983, Jackson died suddenly in Everett of an aortic aneurysm at the age of 71, shortly after giving a news conference condemning the Soviet attack on Korean Airlines Flight 007. News reports showed video footage in which he was seen reflexively massaging the left side of his chest while talking and speculated it was his reaction to an early symptom of a fatal attack. So that, that happened that day, right? He goes out, he does this, this, this press conference. 71 years old. You got the old heart attack gun that they yeah, were he's showing, done. showing to Congress just a few years before that, right? Exactly. Right the cameras. Yeah, exactly. Little, little did they know. Yeah. Larry McDonald was the Congress. Yes. And his, his middle name was Patton. That'll tell you everything you know about the guy. And he was from, he was from Georgia. Um, and he was, there was somebody, the whole thing around that flight too is really weird because there was another, um, another guy who was supposed to be a part of that whole thing. And they wound up taking separate planes. Um, who was the other, there was the death, right? It was Jesse Helms. So the story is that McDonald was invited to the South, to South Korea to attend a celebration on the 30th anniversary of the United States, South Korea mutual defense treaty with three fellow members of Congress, Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina, Steve Sims of Idaho, and Representative Carol Hubbard of Kentucky. Due to bad weather on Sunday, August 28, 1983, McDonald's flight from Atlanta was diverted to Baltimore. When he finally arrived at JFK Airport in New York, he had missed his connection to South Korea by two or three minutes. McDonald could have boarded a Pan Am Boeing 747 to Seoul but he preferred the lower fares of Korean airlines and chose to wait for the next KAL flight two days later. Simultaneously, Hubbard and Helms planned to meet with McDonald to discuss how to join McDonald on KAL 007 flight. As the delays mounted, instead of joining McDonald, Hubbard, at the last minute, gave up on the trip, canceled his reservations, and accepted a Kentucky speaking engagement. Helms attempted to join McDonald, but was also delayed. McDonald occupied an aisle seat, 02B, in the first class section when KAL 007 took off on August 31st at 1224 a.m. local time on a 3,400 miles trip to Anchorage, Alaska. There's Alaska again. For a scheduled stop over seven hours later, the plane remained on the ground for an hour and a half, during which it was refueled, reprovisioned, cleaned, and serviced. The passengers were given the option of leaving the aircraft, but McDonald remained on the plane, catching up on his sleep. Helms, meanwhile, had managed to arrive and invited McDonald to move onto his flight, KAL 015, but McDonald did not wish to be disturbed. So all these weird things are happening along the and way. Just, and just so happened to go into Russian airspace, allegedly, and get shut right. down. Right, right. I mean, so come with, on, that's, that's pretty wild. Right. So from what I understand about that, um, that flight, that they didn't, that they didn't all die, that the plane crash landed and there were survivors. And apparently Larry McDonald was one of the survivors. So, you know, it, it's not been completely proven. That sounds, like the, that sounds like the story of Ron Brown. <laughs> when he well, the Ron Brown thing is weird, right? Like that's another one. <laughs> They, they, they finished him off. 
<laughs> Not just him, but they finished a lot of other people off, didn't they? Yeah, Ron Brown had he knew too much. Yes. So if people don't know who Ron Brown is, he was the head of the, the Democratic Party. He was in charge of all, running all the financing for Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton's campaign. He knew where all the bodies were buried. Where all the bodies were buried. So Ron Brown and a group of quote-unquote business leaders were headed to Kosovo, like the Balkans area. Now they're going to go in and they're going to start doing business, right? Let's go in and start doing business there. And what happened is that they, they, they placed a transponder, which was supposed to be for the airport. They placed this transponder on the side of a hill. And the plane, probably not really aware of where to fly or how to fly into that area, is running by the signal, the transponder. <coughs> and they fly this thing right into the side of a mountain. That's what happens. <coughs> Yeah, this is in Croatia, and the, the, th the thing is, it did a big cover-up to make it look like they were socked in with clouds or fog, and that was just nonsense. They put, they put out a lot of disinformation, which clearly pointed to uh, some kind of a cover-up. Total uh, cover-up, and that's, that's how they, you know, that's how they, 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 they were able to, you know, and, and probably, if there were any survivors, they probably had a cleanup crew there. I think the problem with him is that he... You know, they didn't want him around for the second term of their administration. He had a reputation for being a little bit of a blackmailer anyway, right. sort of his style. Mm -hmm. And so the decision was made. This guy's just, the way he operates is just too dangerous. Kind of understandable why they assassinated him. Well, he was Arkansas. I mean, he's yeah. on the Arkansas list. And the unfortunate thing is all the other people that went along <laughs> with him, right? And those were pretty significant, you know, business people you know these are you know probably fortune 500 companies that are looking to you know sharpen their forks and knives in um you know that part of the world so and as as far as the the, the mcdonald thing goes right so they probably were you know again you know whether it's the radar or the signal they probably drifted a little further north of south korea and the russians are like you know let's get this guy let's get these people Nothing happened, right? There was no attribution. There was no retribution, no sanctions. Like, what are we sanctioning Russia for now? Like minor shit. But then, then they shot down a Korean Airlines plane with an American congressman on him. On it, they probably sent Russia money. Is what they probably did. <laughs> they said they're coming. The guy's coming. He's coming over your airspace. <laughs> right. Exactly. Switch your coordinates a little bit. So yeah, you're right. There were a lot of these political hits that were that were happening during that time, and um, yeah, N now it's like now they got everything just locked down. Yeah, yeah, and this and that's all pre nine eleven stuff, right? That's all pre Bush. They're they're just you know sorting out the you know the uh, the the people that would be. Problematic, uh, right. problematic. Right. Yeah, you know they they would be the squeaky wheels. In the case of Wellstone, and he was literally visited by uh, and threatened by uh, Cheney, threatened mm -hmm. him, and right. he told that to people. Yeah, and yeah, and plus he was the deciding that was the deciding vote of who was going to control the Senate. Mm -hmm. and so when the when the Democrats lost him, they basically elected a uh, in a tight election a. Uh, Republican and got control of the Senate.
<clears throat> of course, not a real Republican by any stretch, but yeah, somebody who is going to uh, vote yes on the corporate for, business for all, interests. For all the Patriot Act stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're painting a pretty dark picture here in a lot of ways, but these things have happened. And people have to understand, and I think one of the things that you have done and done quite well is, you know, alert people and break down the rise of this, this, I, I, I use the word sociopathic because psychopaths, actually they've shown that psychopaths will have remorse, right? The psychopaths are obsessed with doing certain things and their behavior is aberrant, but they have shown psychologically and it's a fine line between a psychopath and a sociopath. Sociopath has no remorse. Like they will do whatever it takes, right? But you've done a, a, an incredible job breaking down, you know, how this group of people have risen to power. And we're basically being run by a sociopathic, psychopathic class that is broken down into these mobs. And, and it's, uh, you know, high, it's high organized crime. It's white collar crime that will not hesitate to enforce blue collar crime or mafiosa style, um, you, you know, hits or whatever, whatever needs, whatever needs to happen. So you've done a great job of this and, and you've, you've, you know, alerted people to this, to the rise of this class who's really is ruling this planet. Yeah. I mean, another guy that would have been a problem for him, I think was John F. Kennedy Jr., they, I think they assassinated him too. That was a. That yeah, was a, I believe he's. I believe he's dead. I. I don't think he's. Around. You know, I think he's dead. But they, they. It was an assassination. They. They took him down. Right. You know, and that was Russ. I know you remember this, but that took place during this really weird time because there was this, there was this jet, that took off. I forget the name of it. The flight number but it was an American jet that was hit by a freaking missile. Do you remember that? It was right around that time. And they said that something had happened to it. And then right after that, you have the, the, the JFK Jr. plane going down. Uh, and it was right around that time. I forget the, 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 the flight number of that, but there was all these weird things happening with planes, which sort of happened in waves sometimes. But yeah, he would have been problematic and they did take him out. Yeah, and that was right before 9-11 also. So there was a purge, light of, night of the long knives type situation. Yeah, and all happening during the, uh, the Clinton and a lot, a lot of it was carried out. A lot of it was carried, yeah, a lot of it was carried out by Bush before the Bush crew, before they even became president. So that's kind of suspicious too, because Clinton was still president. It is a tail end of his administration. I'm trying to figure out what was the date of John F. Kennedy Jr. Let me double check that. He was uh, just weird timing. It kind of shows the connection between Clinton and Bush. Yes, very much. And it's 1999. I don't have the right. I think it was July 16th, 1999, right towards the end of the Clinton administration. And Clinton was doing some weird cover-ups on this. He was acting like he was really deeply concerned. But then got the Air Force involved, kind of steered the, you know, steered the investigation away from the people that should have handled it, which is the FAA. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it became a military operation. Well, John F. Kennedy's not a John F. Kennedy Jr. is not a 
military officer connected in the armed forces. He's a private citizen. Why do you got the Air Force involved? And the Air right. Force really bumbled it and uh, did some odd things, which I go into in the article. The article's name called, uh, yeah, people should go read these articles. It gives you an understanding of the true nature of our society. Reexamining the untimely death of President's son, John F. Kennedy Jr., written in the last two year and a half ago. Let's see if I can bring that up here so people can get a visual of that. <laughs> Give me one second here. Where's your site? It was TWA Flight 800, which um, exploded over Long Island in 1996. Okay. Yeah, who, was, who was on that flight? There was some people... <laughs> I'm going to dial this in here for your website. So here's a little, here's a little on John F. Kennedy Jr. He ran an article in 79 about a conspiracy involving the assassination of Israel's prime minister, Rabin, at the hands of a right-wing fanatic. I, I have a view on that assassination, too, that that was uh, faked. That wasn't faked, but the real story was faked. And that's essentially what... Uh, Kennedy was saying he was they were investigating the attempted assassination of George Wallace and the social uh, political forces behind the hit and so his magazine George it was a it was a it had a real conspiratorial tenor to it yeah I think George did dabble into those areas a little bit by the way I have a theory that uh, JFK is not John F. Kennedy Jr.'s father really yeah, my theory is, is that he's the son of Aristotle Onassis. Uh, he's got his looks are he's too good looking though. I don't well, know. Well, so if you see though, if you see Aristotle Onassis as a young man, and the other son Christopher that Aristotle Onassis had, I've, yeah. I've looked at this. They look like Jefferson Jr. Yeah, and she and so Onassis had a relationship with the Kennedys for a very long time. Like Onassis was bringing rum up from South America when Kennedy was running those speakeasies in Boston. And also Onassis was using the ships to bring heroin into the country. So he was a friend of the family for a very long time. And JFK was, of course, you know, he was uh, infidelist, right? He was, he was, he was, a, he, he didn't have any, he, he didn't have any skin in the game with Jackie. Um, he was a philanderer and Jackie knew this. And so one of the things that she started to do is she had a relationship with Aristotle Onassis before the marriage ended. So I think he's, he's a byproduct of Onassis and, J and uh, mm. Jackie Bouvier, right? Auchincloss. She's adopted. That's the other thing about Jackie Kennedy. She's adopted. She's, she's adopted by the Auchincloss family, who's a stinking rich family. That's a whole other story. But yeah, I mean, he was, he was somebody who was moving up the political ladder. Um, he was great looking, um, seemed to be a, just an absolutely decent guy, according to anybody that ever hung out with him, and was, I think, poised to be a real threat. And I, was it the story that he was going to run for the same Senate seat that Hillary Clinton ultimately oh, he, yeah, he would have Yeah, he eventually would have gotten into politics because he was very appealing and likable. He would have been a great politician. They didn't, they didn't need, that's just the point. What the, the whole point we're talking about are these foundations are controlled by 
turtles on fence posts. And he didn't really fit the turtle on the fence post mode that our country operates on. He had to go. Right. Right. I mean, he would have, it would have been a no brainer for him to be a very successful politician if that's what he wanted to do, or, or he would have had a big impact. And uh, the direction they were going after 9 11, there's no way he would have stood for that. All no, you make, you make a great point about that, by the way. You make an absolutely great point. Look at that. You have 33, 33 comments there. <laughs> the magic 33. Um, so, Russ, do you have anything else you, you want to bring up today that you want to shine a little light on? Oh, no, that's probably it. We've kind of veered into a few good topics. No, it was a great talk. I appreciate I it. I, I think I can propose maybe we talk about this uh, Jimmy Savile thing a little bit, but we, maybe we could do that later. It's on Netflix. I, I would just quickly comment that uh, I wrote an article before on it. The Netflix is worth watching. On, it's called Jimmy uh, Savile, a British horror story. Mm-hmm. Worth watching. And they do get into how he groomed his victims and set himself up with the with, uh, apartments at these different uh, hospitals and mental institutions and uh, prisons and that he worked with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they described that he's, he's, he basically did that to groom young girls. And that, the Netflix series did a good job of covering that part of it, but they really didn't go down the rat, rabbit hole at all of who he was. He was so that, he was one of the most despicable humans of the 20th century. I don't I don't think Netflix really went that deep because it would appoint to uh, some of Savile's friends <laughs> in high places. Yeah, and I, and I happen to believe that Britain is really dominated by the the pedo, what's called the pedocracy. So, have you ever? Do you know who Frank Bruno is? Yeah, I mean Frank Bruno is a kind of a. A guy, an acquaintance of J- Jimmy Savile, and he takes him out to Broadmoor and introduces him to the Yorkshire uh, Ripper. Um, what's the guy's name? The Ripshire, Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah, I don't know. His, I don't know him by name. But have you seen the video where they're doing like the the Frank Bruno "This Is Your Life" thing? Have you seen that video? <clears throat> no. All right, I'm going to tee it up. Frank, it, Frank, Frank Rudo wasn't very happy with this little introduction. Let me, let me, uh, so I'm going to find this thing. It's pretty easy to find. The, the guy uh, he introduced him to was Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, right. Peter Sutcliffe. Him. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Bo- boxing legend Frank Bruno describes how Seville vindictively tricked him into being photographed, shaking hands with Peter Sutcliffe. I have the picture from my article. So I'm gonna. It's a four minute video. I want to play this video because Russ, you, I think you would find it very uh, intriguing yeah, we and entertaining. We could, we could go all night on this stuff. Let, let me just play this video though because anybody I brought it up. up. Anybody want to stay up all night going over this stuff? Because I got, I got, I played this video before. It is completely bizarre. Phil Collins is in this video. Okay. And this is um, here's Frank Bruno. He was a boxer. Was he on the uh, one of the wings? Paul McCartney Wings album covers. I think he might have been. Anyway, this is Frank Bruno. He's a heavyweight. 
boxing champ in England, and he's being honored here by this guy, Frankie Starr. I think that's his name. So watch what happens. This is really strange. His sparring partner, of course, Freddie Starr. Freddie Starr. <laughs> anything you wanted to say sorry <laughs> yeah um frank is one of the most hardest people to sort of buy a present for <laughs> now <laughs> you had a movie one though yeah, yeah i yeah. did yeah. i did yes yeah. i did what, for christmas and you remember it was a black and deck <laughs> <laughs> But it broke down. Uh, the black and decker. Yeah, yeah, it broke down. Yeah. It was all right on holiday, though. It turned on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> is this a private joke or something? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a private joke, but, but what I'm saying is that I, I've come along here this evening to pay. <laughs> <laughs> To a great man. <laughs> He's really a, crying. This is joking. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Shebier is here representing the Prince's Trust, for which Frank is an official ambassador, and you have another letter. Frank, I've brought you a letter this evening from the Prince of Wales, oh, which I'm just going to read out at his request. Dear Frank, I'm sorry I can't be with you in person this evening to give you a terrible shock and probably embarrass you dreadfully, but I did want to add my congratulations to this well-deserved tribute. I would particularly like to thank you, Frank, for all the hard work you put in on behalf of the Prince's Trust. You've been an inspiration to many thousands of young people who have seen in you someone who from very modest beginnings has achieved great things. I can only salute you and give you my warmest best wishes. Yours most sincerely, Charles. Thank you, Tom Shelley. It was, of course, Prince Charles who presented you with your MBE in 1990. Yes, you often work for the Trust with another official ambassador, Phil Collins. Frank, so they got you. <laughs> well, everybody knows uh, Bruno the Brute, but what a lot of people don't know is the uh, fantastic work you do for charity, and uh, particularly with the Prince's Trust. So on behalf of myself and my fellow trustees and uh, everybody at the Prince's Trust, and also all the kids whose lives you touched just through being there and showing that you care about them. Thank you very, very much. Have a good time tonight and have a good time at the party afterwards. You know what I mean? Thank you, Phil Collins. Now, something I know you enjoy doing, Frank, is running. You cover an average 40 miles a week, whether or not you're training for a fight, and you've competed in many half marathons for your favourite charities. Quite often your running partner is a famous knight of the road. Now listen, Francis, oh, okay. turkey legs would have been okay, <laughs> but chicken legs... So, Jimmy Savile. <laughs> All right, so did you see how Phil Collins was talking to him? Yeah. Like all the children you touched. 
and Fred is good buddy Savile. Uh, and and by the way, when you look at Frank Bruno, he is like uncomfortable. Like you can just see as soon as Phil Collins pops up there, he is uncomfortable. Like, what is this guy going to say? Right. Phil Collins, by the way, is a is a very high ranking Mason. So he's, he's well, if you notice if you notice how uh, Savile operated through his 30, 40 years in the public eye, he was just right out in the open. Right. He would he would talk about my case comes up on Thursday. That was one of his favorite jokes. He's, he says, I'm feared by every uh, girl, uh, girl's school in the country. Uh, he says, yeah, I still wrestle. I'm feared by every girl's school in the country. He would he would show up and just have an apartment like in Broadmoor, which is what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. and uh, would fraternize with the women prisoners. I mean, women prisoners in, in Broadmoor probably loved it. I mean, it was a chance for them to get out of confinement and have a little fun with the uh, with uh, Savo. So he kind of took advantage of that situation. But what he really did did was it goes went to the young girls prisons where, where, he was, where he was involved. And we get 13, 14 year olds and have, have at it with them. Just right out in the open and didn't try to cover it up at all. This classic, uh, what I would call classic pajama person behavior yeah yeah and uh, of course the uh the 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 darkest sort of you know uh story that comes out of savile world is that he actually would have sex with cadavers right yeah he would get he would he liked to collect eyeballs or uh, different uh, fake not fake eyeballs but artificial eyeballs pop them out of people's heads i mean he had he has a ring you can see a ring and it's picture down in the article where he's got an eyeball ring. <laughs> yeah, there's a, whole, there's, a whole, there's a whole cult around that stuff, too. And so then you get to wonder, like, what was going on with Frank Bruno? And why was he... That's a pretty important event, right? You got the, the, the you know, the prince is sending a representative there, and you've got this very formal letter, and, you know, he's a knight of the realm. Like, what, what were they doing with Frank Bruno? And it's clear well, I think, that I think, I think Frank Bruno was pissed off about being introduced to Peter Sutcliffe. He, I don't think he appreciated that at all. But uh, he sounds like he got over it because there he is with the with Savile at this uh, awards. This is your life. So I, I I think that what they would do. This is just my own supposition, is that they would take a guy like Frank Bruno, who is you know probably you know, muscular and well-built, maybe he's well-hung, whatever, right? And turn him loose on like a 12 or 13-year-old girl or something like that. And they all sit around and watch it. And they videotape it. Like, it's a, it's a, big, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a big deal for them, right? Like, they, they turn him into this fetish. Because clearly, you know, what, what else does he have going on there? You know, and that whole exchange with him and Freddie Starr, Black and Decker, like, what is that all about? And he, and he's like, don't go there. And, you know, they, it's all very coded. Yeah, Black right? and Decker, that's like a, a tool. Exactly, exactly. What's and it's, it's like, it's all very weird. Some kind, right? of, some kind of sexual reference? It's some kind of sexual reference. Absolutely. I mean, I watched that thing and I just want to take a shower after I watch that. You know, so that gets well, that's, that's typical of Britain. That's typical of Britain. I'm sorry to say that. You know, if any British are listening there, you need to start reflecting on who's running your country. 
because that that's the crowd right there. It's a, you know a, a variation of Epstein. Yeah, they've been doing this all the way back to the Hellfire Club. I mean, you know, it goes goes all the way back to you know that that particular house where they found all those bodies beneath the house when they were renovating it, all these young bodies, like you know, hundreds of bodies, right? That's where the Hellfire Club had its had its parties. And of course, Ben Franklin was a part of that mess as well. So it goes all the way back there. And Jack the Ripper is supposedly, you know, part of the Hellfire Club as well. So wow, Russ, we've traveled and covered a lot of ground today. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Uh so no, anything I don't even have any more articles to discuss. No, just kidding. <laughs> So do you, so what, what, what's, what are you working on next? Oh, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not quite as engaged as I, as I have been, you know, I'm, I have a little bit of eyesight problems. So it's a little harder for me to get on a computer. I mean, I, there was a time like a couple of years ago where I'd just spend hours on end, just diving through material writing. Yeah. And I can't really do that anymore. I've got this new computer I have, I can see a little better. So maybe I can kind of re- revive it. You know, I, I would love for you to write like a long form book, but something that's like really, you know, deep investigative detective journalist kind of stuff, like pick one thing or maybe one thing that has a couple of different iterations. I think you'd be really good at it. Yeah. There's some stories out there that need to be told because, you know, the, part of the problem with the, the, the author community is they're afraid of being called a conspiracy theorist. And so they really don't go deep enough. They just touch the surface. That's a big problem. Right. I, I would agree with you. It's like what we talked about with the uh, podcast, the Nick baggage thing. It's, it's exactly, you know, that's a, that's yeah. a great example of that. Yeah, he's, invest- almost, he's almost apologizing for some of his conclusion. I, I, I thought yeah. that very odd about that guy. And he's, worried about being criticized that this would be considered a conspiracy theory well you nailed it man <laughs> yeah no it was it was good no work. reason for you you know it's, it's like he puts the story out there and then kind of runs and hides well i think it's partly because they want to have whatever their version of credibility is right like they have to like maintain their version of credibility so by denouncing anything that's remotely related to a conspiracy theory, they're sort of, you know, banking their credibility, right? It's like, well, don't put me in that camp. Well, you know, that whole, that whole uh, radio interview or podcast is worth listening to. And I thought it was fascinating because the story, he, the investigation developed over a period of time. It didn't just fall on his laps. He would, he would interview different people would go down one rabbit hole after another until it just hit him right in the face. Right. He was like the classic pajama person. Yeah. And finally, he couldn't really deny his lying eyes, and he pretty much had to tell it, you know, tell the truth about what happened. But then, kind of labeled it as, "Well, I'm just a consp- I'm, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist." So one of the key um, people in that story is an inmate in a prison who shared a cell with this Tony guy and he had a relationship with a lawyer and he would write him letters, right? He wrote this lawyer, lots of letters 
and and the guy who did this podcast eventually connects him with this lawyer and gets these letters from this guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. Great investigative journey. Great investigative work. Right. Right. He. I mean, he gets the source. There's no speculation. This guy's basically yeah. saying what this Tony guy told him. And and um, anyway, it's it's a it, maybe I could find the link to that and just put it in the show notes here so people could go and listen. It's really worth listening to. It's really yeah. Well I'll done. put it. I'll put it up uh, when I put this up on my side. I'll link to that. Well, Russ, I know it's getting late there, so I'm gonna let you go. And uh, thanks again for being here today. I appreciate it. All right, Robert. Thanks. All right. Good you take you take Bye. good care. Bye. Bye. All right. That was the uh, the great Russ Winter. And uh, it was a pleasure to have him on. Two hours went by quickly, didn't they? Really quickly. Um, Jeffrey Doherty was supposed to be here, but he had a very important engagement that he had forgotten about. So um, we're going to thank Jeffrey for at least agreeing to being on the show. And we'll see him again here sometime soon. So, Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart to sit what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Check out winterwatch.net. I'll be back on Sunday night with Sunday Night Astro Live. Until then, have a great weekend. Bye for now.